seven others overnight. The suspect's on the run following his 90-minute rampage in the city centre. Two people are seriously injured in what police have called random attacks. The daily number of coronavirus cases in the UK has reached its highest level since May. 2,988 new infections were recorded in the latest 24-hour period, almost 1,200 more than the previous day. The health secretary's admitted he's concerned and the positive tests were predominantly among younger people. His Labour counterpart, Jonathan Ashworth, wants answers. People will be understandably worried. They'll be concerned about what it means for them and their loved ones. So I really think Matt Hancock, it's his responsibility and duty to come to the House of Commons tomorrow and update MPs on the government's approach. Germany's increased the pressure on Russia over the poisoning of opposition politician Alexei Navalny. The foreign minister Heiko Maas has told a newspaper that a lack of support by Moscow in the investigation could force a rethink over a gas pipeline project. The Labour leaders condemned Extinction Rebellion protests at printing works, which prevented newspapers from being delivered. 26 people have been charged with aggravated trespass following a demonstration near Liverpool on Friday night. In sports, Joss Butler's helped England's cricketers clinch a 2020 series win over Australia. His unbeaten 77 contributed to a six-wicket victory and unassailable 2-0 lead with a match to spare in Southampton. Captain Owen Morgan says it was an improved performance from the bowlers. To make inroads on a wicket like that was fantastic. Sometimes you don't have a bit of luck, but we had it in the first six, making inroads into that top order. So that made life a little bit easier throughout the middle. And the guys still bowled really well and then finished well, so we were happy chasing down a total like that. And Wales clinched an injury time winner in the 1-0 victory over Bulgaria in Cardiff to continue a 100% start in the Nations League. That's the latest. I'm Kevin Gover. Corby Radio. Corby Radio. Weather. Good evening, I'm Robbie Owen, and tonight's weather in Corby. Well, some rain around at the moment, but that should die out by about 9 o'clock. And we've got cloudy night, temperature dropping down to about 9 or 10 overnight, light winds coming from the west. And Monday in Corby, well, sunny intervals, a moderate breeze, actually not bad in the morning, uh, sunny spells across the morning, a thicker cloud in the afternoon from about 3 o'clock, and the maximum temperature tomorrow, 20. The wind's getting a bit brisker, coming from the west to the southwest, uh, up to about 13 miles an hour, but uh, otherwise a dry day for Monday in Corby. Good evening. You don't need surf or sun or a sand. The radio is on and you understand. You're listening to the Robbie Owen Show. What do you where you want to go? Hello there, and welcome to the Jukebox Drive-In. Big thank you to Andy Barnes for a wonderful soul show. Chock-a-block full of your requests. And tonight's special programme, we've got Collector's Corner between 7 and 8, and then we're going to be joined by radio legend Mr Neil James will be with us between 8 and 10. Yeah, I know you're saying, Neil who? But you know what? He's been all over our radios for many years and has reinvented himself 
as a photographer and a podcaster. And he's someone, well, a very, very long time ago I helped launch on his radio career. So I'm looking forward to catching up as to what he's been doing. He got all the way to Radio 1. What happened next? That's tonight. Neil James here on the Jukebox Drive-In between 8 and 10. But right now, three in a row, as always, this time, Jethro Tull. Mom's jam son is and see our antique flow. The candy floss salesman watches ladies in the sand down for a freaky weekend in the hope of the Silver sea 
And along the golden mile There'll be swigging mugs of tea The politicians there Have come to take the air While posing for the daily press We'll look around and blame the mess On Edward Pierre There'll be pocket spades and bingo cockles, muscles, rainy days. I see we dance and castles, I see waves. Death tears from the dinghy's old best graces dangling down. Some tents stand to stop fish in The candy floss salesman Who watches ladies in the sand Down for a free weekend In the hope that they'll be meeting Mr. Universe There'll be pocket spades and bingo Buckles, muscles, rainy days A seaweed dance and castles Rather think his old best braces dangling down A suntan stranded starfish in a daze Oh black pool Oh black pool
Tune ends too soon for us all. Isn't that beautiful? Life's a long song. Bet you haven't heard that one for ages. And we played the other side. It was a double A side. We played Up the Pool. Nobody plays Up the Pool. And we started off with The Great Living in the Past. Three from Jethro Tull. Yeah, what other programme on the radio opens with three from Jethro Tull? I can hear people shouting at the radio saying, None! <laughs> what do you think of it so far? Yeah, I know. A very good evening. It's a special jukebox driving tonight. We're going to be joined in the studio. Uh, well, actually, uh, virtually, I have to say. Uh, last week we did actually have real guests here. Tony and Oliver were here. It was a, a pleasure to see them. Uh, but uh, we're going to be joined by deepest, uh, from deepest, darkest Newbury, actually, because Neil James, who uh, I always knew as the little boy in, in uh, short trousers called James Bartholomew, <laughs> he will be joining us. But do you know what? I'm actually slightly nervous because he was on Radio 1 and he's done just about everything you can imagine in radio. He worked his way through that and then decided he would invent, reinvent himself as a photographer and a videographer and now as a podcaster. Anyway, early on parade on Facebook. You can go to JBDI, the jukebox drive, and we have a chat area there. Good evening to Julia and Bill Griswood. Good evening to Dave Randall. Uh, Mike Barakoff says, hello everyone. If you didn't see it the first time, I can recommend Van Morrison up on Cypress Avenue. Live performance in 2015 on his 70th birthday in Belfast on the avenue he made famous in Astral Weeks. Was on the BBC last week and it's now on the iPlayer and there's a link there on our pages. And uh, uh, thank you very much for that. If you want to join the chat, you can do that right there on Facebook. And some mail. I thanked um, Ian uh, Alan Parsons for uh, his excellent feature, Songs of Protest, last week, although Alan pa Ian Cowley rather, was complaining that it didn't include uh, Prime Time by Don McLean. But guess what? Alan Parsons has put a part two together of Songs of Protest, and he will include that Don McLean track suggested by Ian Cowley. He says all the tracks are chosen. You just have to research the background. He's also working on Hard Rock Cafe and a feature called On the Fiddle. That is, is pieces of music that include the fiddle. <laughs> Isn't that clever? On the fiddle. 
And uh, he said, uh, I'm, you know, I was joking about, um, I said Ashes to Ashes, I thought it was the best David Bowie record. And Alan said, no, 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 you're, it's only you. Um, he said, I can think of 30 better songs. I said, well, make a list. And he says, well, how about I do um, a David Bowie feature? And I said, well, we don't normally do single artist features. I said, but you, maybe you could do David Bowie and Friends, to which... Like lightning, he says. Excellent idea, Robbie. And David Bowie had plenty of those. Everyone seemed to love him. Nile Rogers called him the most human human he has known on Radio 2 last week. And David Bowie was involved with Ronnie Spector at one time, but I don't think that was musically. Smile. <laughs> I'll aim for January the 8th, Bowie's birthday. Right, OK, so we're already planning next year. Hope he worked with Scott Walker as Bowie was a big fan, but from memory, I don't think he did. Well, he did, he did work with Bing Crosby. <laughs> Hint, did work with Bing Crosby. Maybe that's a preview, Jack, uh, for a couple of weeks before. And um, a very warm hello to Roger Dobson, who I haven't heard from for ages. I sent him the details because Cherry Red Records have finally acquired the rights to the T-Chess tapes. And you may be thinking, what are they talking about, T-Chess tapes? Well, Joe Meek's archive of recordings all got locked in a, a, a bunch of chests called T-Chests. And there they have remained for 50 or more years. And the guy that bought them refused to, well, he asked a very high price and he refused to license them. Well, finally he has done. He's licensed all these tapes to Cherry Red. So expect all sorts of oddities, uh, Joe Meek productions and bits and pieces coming out of that. And uh, I, I highlighted this to Roger Dobson, who is an expert are Joe Meek and many other things, although he said he doesn't want to get involved in the T-Chess tapes because he actually went through them some years ago and catalogued them and says it would be really hard work to get much useful material out of them. But uh, he did see it, send me an article from Now Dig This magazine all about Del Shannon's 1983 tour and his album Drop Down and Get Me, and he has recommended that I read that and he says he recently bought an LP via Discogs from Barry Simcoe yeah none other than our very own Barry Simcoe he says we've been exchanging the occasional email small world eh yeah uh, Barry if you're listening very good evening to you hope you're well been talking to your I think he is is Barry Noble your cousin or your brother I think he's your cousin if I remember rightly and hot news, there's a collection of rarities coming out from the Explorers Club. Rarities Volume 1 by the Explorers Club will be out in uh, October. Really looking forward to that. And uh, T-Chess tapes, well, I guess it'll be next year before we get any of those out on, on, on Cherry Red. But that was pretty amazing to read that. Uh, so, OK, that's the correspondence. If you want to get in, chat, uh, in touch and uh, send us a note... It's very easy. Just email jbdi at robbieowen.com. That's jbdi at robbieowen.com. We're also on the telephone, the usual number, 01536. That's Corby, 265666. You're listening to Record Collector's Corner with Robbie Owen. Watch out now.
They are. From the concert for Bangladesh. Yep. Beware of darkness is Leon Russell with uh, Eric Clapton and uh, George Harrison sounding <laughs> incredibly liver-pedantic. Beware. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, Alan Parsons asked for that. And uh, hi to Oliver, who enjoyed his visit to Magic Echo last week. He says, enjoying your show in the beer and fire area with my new Bluetooth speaker. Oh, yes, he sent a picture of his multicoloured. It's painted blue and yellow. <laughs> Isn't that amazing, actually, they, these days that people could just drop a picture onto your, your screen just like that. Uh, you have to... When the technology works, it's absolutely wonderful. And fingers crossed it's going to work tonight between 8 and 10. OK, let's talk about Cherry Red uh, acquiring these tapes. Uh, so, T-Chess tapes. Um, there's about 50 of these tapes, so there's a lot of material to be gone through there. So we should hear some new Joe Meek, previously unheard Joe Meek material, uh, plus some of his demos. And uh, recordings coming out, this is October Part 2 uh, on Cherry Red. Uh, the Fall Imperial Wax Solvent, 2LP uh, Splatter Vinyl and 3CD Digipack. Uh, coming out on Cherry Red in October, Rhinoceros, the Electra albums, 1968 to 1970, three CD set, and I like the look of this, RPM, right back where we started from, female pop and soul in the 70s, Britain, three CD capacity wallet, yeah, sounds good. And on Righteous Records, fast jiving class cutters high on booze, spellbound cavemen and mad scientists from the vault of Lux and Ivy. And on their soul music label, Carla Thomas, let me be good to you, the Atlantic and Stacks recording 60 to 68, four CD set. These are not out until October, and they're all on Cherry Red. I've got October part one here as well. Howard Jones crossed that line, three CD set with a DVD. Procol Harum, Something's Magic, double CD. Chris Squire, Fish Out of Water, high resolution audio edition. Wayne County and the Electric Chairs, four CD set called The Safari Years. Dr. Bird label, Reggae Strings and Reggae Strings Volume 2. And on Grapefruit, various artists. Bubble Rock is here to stay. The British Pop Explosion, 1970 to 73. They're all out on uh, Cherry Red and their related labels. A quick glance at Ace. What's out from them? Girls with Guitars know why this is a vinyl album. New Breed Saturday Night Special. That's what's coming up next. Got a track taken from this. Uh, great New Breed R&B Dance Exclusives plus Rare Records and Elusive CD Offerings. That's on Kent Records. George Jackson in Memphis on vinyl. The San Etienne compilation Songs for the Fountain Coffee Room coming out on CD and uh, Dirty Work Going On, Kent and Modern Records, Blues Into the 60s, Volume 1. They're all new on Ace and Related Labels. Don't forget, if you missed any of the details, you can always drop me a line, jbdi at robbyowen.com. Uh, Mike Barraclough says that Van Morrison's playing the Electric Ballroom in Camden tonight. Yeah, he's, he's gigging. And then he's doing six socially distant show at the Palladium. In the next three months, his gig last week at a Newcastle race course got a four-star review in the Times, headlined, Legendary Grump Keeps It Real Again. No live internet streams from Van the Man. The sweetheart called me one morning She said, I've got the money in my hand I'm gonna get the fastest thing I possibly can And make it on to my man
1961, recorded for Stacks by Prince Conley. Ain't that good? And that's one track on this new breed R&B Saturday night special. Guess what? That track was previously unreleased. What a cool track to just leave in the vaults like that. Just shows you how much good stuff was around. That's that collection, new breed R&B Saturday night special out now on Kent Records, part of Ace. And uh, let's have a collectible. Uh, have you got a copy of this? It's worth £30. came out on Stateside, Stateside SS491. And like many Stateside releases from the first half of the 60s, very collectible. Stateside SS491, Slim Harpo and Baby Scratch My Back. £30 in mint condition. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
Sounds in mint condition. Slim Harpo, scratch my back, baby. <laughs> 1966. And uh, Alan Parsons has thanked uh, Mike Barraclough for posting the details about the Van Morrison up on Cypress Avenue on the BBC iPlayer. But he says, thanks for posting that, Mike, but after watching Van grunt his way through five songs on Van Morrison at the BBC, I gave up after the highlight of Lonnie Donegan performing Lost John with him. <laughs> yeah, I do. I remember when I saw he was... Uh, uh, performing at uh, Wembley Arena, you know, formerly the Empire Pool, and um, it was the uh, he was the first half, and the second half was Ray Charles, and um, amazing. There were spotlights on every member of the band, and Van Morrison dressed entirely in black, and no spotlight on him, and he had his back to the audience a lot of the time. But it, even so, the music <laughs> closed your eyes and ignored the spectacle on stage or the lack of spectacle. He still is really good. I love the fact that uh, that he just keeps on going. And uh, Dave Randall says he's using the new Facebook. Well, I've been using it for quite some time. It loads a bit more quickly, which helps me on the programme. But I have to say, it's extremely unfriendly. I mean, I wish I could just bring up the posts and have a page for posts that updated as they came in. That's how it used to work. And some twerp at uh, Facebook decided, I don't know, about three years ago, oh, no, no, we're not going to have it like that anymore. And so they stopped doing it. So it's extremely radio unfriendly. I mean, it's great to have a chat area, but mm, means I have to do a total refresh and reload everything if there's to get any new posts. So, so there you are. That's why I think. So the new version, well, I give the old version one out of ten, and I give the new version two out of ten. So yes, it is an improvement, only just. Okay, new on uh, beat goes on. These are out now. George Jones, four albums on two CDs. Uh, still the same old me, first time live. One woman, man, and friends in high places. These date from eighty-one through to ninety-one. Uh, double, two albums, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. The Jukes and Love is a Sacrifice. Two albums on one CD from 80 and 81. And the Crickets, looking forward to getting this. It has been slightly delayed, I've just been told, but it will be out next month. Bubblegum Bop Ballad and Boogies. Remnants and A Long Way from Lubbock, dating from 73 and 74. Three albums on two discs by the Crickets. This is really rather good. This just arrived, and we'll run a competition for this. 50 tracks on two discs. The Searchers EP collection. Pi Records, all their EPs, including the French one, um, uh, together on A Beat Goes On. That's the Searchers EP collection. Uh, Bobby Bear, four albums on two discs. Uh, Drunk and Crazy As Is, Ain't Got Nothing to Lose, and Drinking from the Bottle, Singing from the Heart, dating from 80 to 83 and David McWilliams yet yeah, three of his albums for Dawn Records from 72 through to 74 Lord Offaly The Beggar and the Priest and Living's Just a State of Mind these are all out now on Beat Goes On they also have some in limited quantities if these interest you you've got to move quickly because they're only going to be available for a limited time Champagne Jam by the Atlanta Rhythm Section from 1978. A two-on-one from Duane Eddy, Dance with the Guitar Man and Twanging Up a Storm, both those from 63. Patsy Cline, Showcase and Sentimentally Yours from 61 and 62. A Gino Vanelli, a Storm on Sunup and power, uh, power People, Powerful People. Uh, both those Gino Vanelli albums come from mid-70s. Uh, the Incredible String Band, three albums of theirs from 66 through to 68. And Beggar's Opera, two-on-one, Act One and Waters of Change. Also, Sea Level's album, Ballroom, gets a reissue. They're all new on Beat Goes On, but those ones, the second part, 
They're only available for a limited time, so don't say I haven't warned you. OK, Jukebox Drive, and you want to get in touch, it's jbdi at robbieowen.com. And let's have a track on something that's new on Westbound Records. This is the Clark Sisters. You brought sunshine into my life. Single mix. This is a, a band that came up through the gospel route. Very active in the mid-70s. from a collection called You Brought the Sunshine. There's the title track, The Sound of Gospel Recordings, 76 to 81. That's out now on Westbound Records, part of uh, Ace. And uh, <laughs> Oliver's now sending pictures of his cat. He's got a rather cute 
a black and white cat who is apparently listening to the programme. Hope he or she is enjoying it. I don't don't have a name yet, but I think I'm about to find that out. And, uh, well, the consensus seemed to be that the new Facebook is rather strange. Boy, do we get excited over trivial things. And hi to Dave Barber, who's just joined us. Hi, Dave Barber. Can I've heard... <laughs> Neil James is in the shower. He sent me a note saying, I'm just jumping in the shower. I'll log in at 7.45. So, uh, so he'll be done. I'll put my best shirt on. <laughs> Why am I nervous? But I am. I am. You know, Radio 1 superstar and all that. Now, I'm holding in my hands... Oh, this is a sweet, sweet book. Uh, Backstreet Genius, Derek Tompkins and The Shield Studio, written by Dave Clemo, Roger Kinsey and Mavis Tompkins. Uh, if the technology goes well tonight, actually, I'm hoping we might be able to get all three of them together virtually and do an interview about this wonderful book they've written. Derek Tompkins ran The Shield Studios in Kettering. He later ran the Beck Studios in Wellingborough. A uh, very inventive and uh, t strong technical guy. And uh, he made beautiful sound systems, particularly for groups. Uh, remember Mick Harper in uh, New Formula? Uh, people like Gideon, they wanted good quality vocals. And it was Derek Tompkins who put together Shield Sounds, as he called them. Uh, he used leak amplifiers and other very good quality amplifiers to make excellent sound systems. And he made disco systems and he ran a recording studio. And many important bands started their careers in that area. Anyway, that book is out now. You can buy it in, in uh, softback at the moment. You can also download it from Amazon as a Kindle edition. But if you want to get the printed edition, you need to move fast. If you want me to link you to Dave Clemo, I'd happily do that. OK. Oh, what a joy we've got here. We've got a new single from the Explorers Club. Somebody made for me. Somewhere, someone special just for me.
wonderful Somebody Made For Me, the Emmett Road song that's brand new, literally just out and only for Explorers Club members. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? God, their, their uh, harmonies are wonderful. Well, um, uh, Oliver's very pleased with his new Bluetooth speaker and it's Snagglepuss who's listening. Ah, suffering succotash. Yes, hello, Snagglepuss. How nice to know you're listening to the programme. <laughs> Uh, who knows? May, may start a new trend. Programs for programming for cats. And um, uh, well, yeah. Uh, Alan Parsons. He says, "Hi, Robbie. I think that should be Van the Grunt, as that's all he seems to do when I watch him live." His band are very good, though. <laughs> Damned by faint praise, eh? Isn't he? What a wag. Um, well, uh, I must admit, he's been making excellent albums. He does at least one a year, and he never, never lets us down. OK, well, talking of Alan Parsons, he asked if I could play this. Didn't get time last week. But, of course, we had songs of protest. And, um, well, during the 60s, you remember, you know, that was the week that was, and the Frost Show, Frost Report. The satirical programmes were very in. And so for every protest song, there tended to be a sort of anti-protest song. And perhaps the finest of these... Uh, was on uh, US TV. That was the week that was. And uh, this one. Here's Tom Lehrer. One type of song that has come into increasing prominence in recent months is the folk song of protest. You have to admire people who sing these songs. It takes a certain amount of courage to get up in a coffee house or a college auditorium and come out in favor of the things that everybody else in the audience is against, like peace and justice and brotherhood and so on. <laughs> but... The nicest thing about a protest song is that it makes you feel so good. I have a song here which I realize should be accompanied on a folk instrument in which category the piano does not, alas, qualify. So imagine, if you will, that I am playing an 88-string guitar. <laughs> we are the folk song army. Every one of us cares. We all hate poverty, war, and injustice. Unlike the rest of you squares There are innocuous folk songs, yeah But we regard them with scorn The folks who sing them have no social conscience Why, they don't even care if Jimmy crack corn If you feel dissatisfaction Strum your frustrations away Some people may prefer action But give me a folk song any old day The tune don't have to be clever And it don't matter if you put a couple extra syllables into a line It sounds more ethnic if it ain't good English And it don't even gotta rhyme Excuse me, rhyme Remember the war against Franco That's the kind where each of us belongs Though he may have won all the battles We had all the good songs So join in the folk song army Guitars are the weapons we bring To the fight against poverty, war and injustice Ready?
left over from songs of protest last week. Yeah, Tom Lehrer's <laughs> The Folk Song Army and uh, Frida Payne. I haven't heard that for ages. Bring the boys home. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, while we're at it, maybe we should play this. Anyone remember Rob McEwen? Here's Soldiers Who Want to Be Heroes. Soldiers who want to be heroes Number practically zero But there are millions Want to be civilians Soldiers who want to be heroes Number practically zero There are millions Who want to be civilians Come and take my eldest son Show him how to shoot a gun Wipe his eyes if he starts to cry When the bullets fly Give him a rifle, take his hoe, show him the field where he can grow. Lay his body down and die without asking why. Soldiers who want to be heroes, number practically zero. There are millions who want to be civilians. Soldiers who want to be heroes, number practically zero. There are millions who want to be civilians. Sticks and stones can break your bones, even names can hurt you. But the thing that hurts the most is when a man deserts you. Don't you think it's time to weed the leaders that no longer lead? From the people of the land who'd like to see their sons again. Soldiers who want to be heroes, number practically zero. But there are millions who want to be civilians. Who want to be heroes Number practically zero But there are millions Who want to be civilians Soldiers who want to be heroes Number practically zero But there are millions Who want to be civilians Soldiers who want to be heroes there are Rob McEwen, soldiers who want to be here. As a reminder, in the next hour, we've got our interview with Neil James. But uh, right now, let's have uh, a track from... Uh, this is actually from uh, from Golden Gill Trap's first album.
Ah, there's Gordon Giltrap, and... <laughs> yep, that's called Portrait. It's the opening track of his second album that's out now on Beat Goes On Records. And uh, the reason I'm hesitating slightly is that uh, we're trying to get everything sorted out for the interview with uh, Neil James, and he's trying to uh, log in at, <laughs> at the moment, and I can't see him on my screen. I don't quite know why. It was... <laughs> we did a rehearsal, and it was working fine, and now... Suddenly we can't get the link. Anyway, all being well, we'll be talking to Neil James in the next hour. We're just trying to get our link working. Uh, let's have our doo-wopper for this week, which comes from the genies. <laughs> the genies and who's that knocking at my door
Corby. This is the voice of Corby. Corby Radio 96.3. From the Sky News Centre at 8, police in Birmingham have now released CCTV footage of a man they want to speak to following a series of stabbings which left a 23-year-old man dead. Seven other people were injured, two of them seriously, in the random attacks overnight in the city centre. Officers say they've been trawling through evidence and speaking to witnesses. Mayor of the West Midlands, Andy Street, insists the area will remain united. However tragic this incident, it must not define this city. What I've also seen today is an incredible sense of defiance, a sense of this is not done in our name. And what you will see in the coming days is people of Birmingham and all the West Midlands coming together. The Health Secretary Matt Hancock says a sharp increase in COVID-19 cases across the UK is concerning. Almost 3,000 have been recorded compared with less than 2,000 yesterday. Border officials have recovered more than £1 million hidden in two lorries trying to leave the UK. The cash was found concealed in trucks at Dover's eastern docks. Officials in Louisiana have reported two more deaths following Hurricane Laura. It brings the storm's total number of people who've died in the state to 25. In sports, England's cricketers claimed a comfortable victory over Australia in the second 2020 international. To wrap up the series, the six-wicket win came after Owen Morgan's men were set a victory target of 258 in Southampton, which they passed with seven balls to spare. Wales needed an injury-time goal to continue their winning start in the Nations League. Nico Williams scored in the 1-0 victory over Bulgaria in Cardiff. The teenage Liverpool defender says life's looking good right now. Obviously when you're a kid you always dream to dream of a playing for your country and to do what I'm doing now is just a surreal moment and um, if I keep working hard, keep showing keep showing the gaff of what I can do, then hopefully I'll keep getting my chances and like today I'll get, hopefully I'll get some more goals. Stephen Kenny still without a win as Republic of Ireland manager after a 1-0 defeat to Finland. That's the latest. I'm Kevin Gover. Corby Radio. Corby Radio. Weather. Well, tomorrow in Corby looks like it'll be quite a nice day, actually. The, um... The weather, well, sunny intervals, moderate breezes coming from the west, getting a bit breezy during the afternoon. The best of the sunshine will be in the morning. Maximum temperature is 20 degrees, but staying dry all day and going down to about hmm, 11, maybe 12 overnight into Tuesday. And Tuesday actually could be a bit warm and muggy, 22 degrees under thick clouds.
Well, there's nothing like getting the adrenaline going and uh, <laughs> rushing around, making sure our link was working. But I am very hopeful that on the end of this line, we should hear the dulcet tones of Mr. Neil James. Well, you should do. Ah, uh, we can. Hey! <laughs> it works. It works. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't felt panicked for well over a decade worrying about any links working on time. I'd completely forgotten that was what radio was all about. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I must admit, I, I don't think I've missed it somehow. Uh, um, <laughs> it, uh, it, it, it uh, has been a bit of a trauma, but yeah. you are with us and the quality is excellent. Yes. And, uh, and good, it was good, good. all to do with... Uh, I was opening the wrong invitation. <laughs> So, Neil, welcome to the Magic Echo and Corby Thank Radio. Uh, here on the Jukebox Drive-In, it is a pleasure to be talking to you. And, um, well, we've known each other a, a long time, actually. I well, was... yeah, I mean, it, it, it's over three decades. Over three decades. It must be about, my maths probably will let me down, but I think it's about 35 maybe years. Yeah, something Ish. like that. So we, we were together at the same hospital radio station. Yeah. So yeah. what, um, I'm just trying to think, uh, what year did you join Radio Hartford, the hospital radio station? I, which is I, I, I can't started. think of the year, but I know that I would have been about uh, 15 or 16. And the reason I know that is because I was originally turned down for being too young. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I um, just one of the many rejection letters in my file. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we wrote to you and turned you down. Yeah, I think so. You said come back when you you've got a bit older. Um and uh, but I was tenacious then as as I went on to be, I think, and didn't accept no as an answer <laughs> and uh, and came back. I think I wore you down. Yes. Well, <laughs> I I I'm so glad you did. Uh thank goodness for that. Yeah, I've got a feeling that well, I think that was in the era when insurances were coming in and yeah. there were various guidelines and you were just yeah. 14 when you joined us on, on oh, Was it 14, 14, yeah. 15, 16, something like well, that? Well, I'm yeah, reading so. your bio and you tell yeah. me it, you were 14. Oh, you it, was, it was 14, you're right, I forgot my own bio. So what year would that yeah. be? What year were you oh, 14? I, oh, Robbie. Yeah, go on. Uh, 14, I'm going to have to add, add this will. up now. I know. Um, well, well, give us your birthday. Well, uh, 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 1981, yeah. 1981. That so that would have been, that, that would have been eight, 81. Very good. And what was it about radio that so captured your imagination? Because you know, well, in the I, 80s there were, you know, was an increasing number of different things for youngsters yeah, to do. Yeah, but I, it, it was, it, frankly, it was a bit of an accident. My, <laughs> my, best, my best friend, as all good things are, happy accidents. But my, my best friend um, at the time, um, his, his mother was... Um, was uh, an occupational therapist at the at the hospital, and I I remember one day um, being down in the town near the hospital, and uh, his his name was Robin, and uh, and he said, uh, well let, let's not walk up. There's a long hill um, <laughs> at Hartford, which you all know well, uh, called Port Hill, which takes you up into Benjamin. And he said, well let's not walk up the long hill. My mum works at the hospital. She'll give us a lift home. <laughs> So, um, uh, I, I, so we did. We, we wandered into the hospital, and as, as we as we made our way towards where her practice was, I saw this sticker in in a window for Radio Hartford, and I said, uh, "What's that?" And he knew, and he said, "Well, they have a hospital radio station here." And I said, "Well, I've no idea what one of those is." He says they they play records to the patients, uh, really, and and 
And that's about all he knew. And from that moment, I thought, well, this is it. This is something I could do with my weekends. And, um, yeah, that, that was the accident. And had you had a keen interest in music or radio prior to that time? Not necessarily. I mean, I was a radio listener, like all, all lads were, but, and lasses were. But, but no, not, not especially. I wasn't a great... I wasn't very good. Um, I certainly wasn't in, in the school plays or anything like that. I, I lacked an awful lot of confidence to do anything like that at all. And I remember my mum and dad would feel, um, I, I suppose, well, not disappointed, but I, I think they showed their disappointment year after year when I when I tended to um, to the to the you know the the backstage stuff like costumeer or. Or um, or moving stuff on and off the stage, <laughs> or I think later on being being actually in charge of the sound. But I never I never acted, and um, so actually radio for me. I always I, I fancied doing something where I could perhaps show a bit of personality, but I didn't want to show my face. And I, I suppose radio and Radio Hartford in particular at that at that time offered me that opportunity. Yeah, so amazing. So almost a chance then. So yeah, I, me yeah. I do remember you coming into Radio Hartford, and it was very obvious uh, quite quickly that, that that actually you were really rather good at this radio thing, and you well, you I, took to it very quickly. In fact, well, that, a precocious yeah. talent, one would say. <laughs> I don't know about good, but I do remember um, instantly the the um, the fascination of the red light and and the on air light being outside the studio and. And this, I was, I, I was just bowled over instantly by it. And I thought, my word, this is, um, I mean, as far as I was concerned, it didn't matter whether it was Radio Hartford with one, two, three, four, ten listeners, twelve, whatever, or, or later on as it came to be with Radio One and sitting in for some of the uh, presenters in their main day slots like Bates with his uh, purported nine to twelve million at uh, 11 a.m., it, it didn't really matter because, I mean, the, the thing that they always tell you on radio was there's only ever one listener. And you, you imagine who that one listener is. And it doesn't matter whether it's Doris on, on the walls <laughs> or, or that, that listener that you've imagined might, might listen to you at Radio 1. It really doesn't matter. For me, it was just being in that quiet room playing songs with that red light um, was this mysterious pleasure that I could never quite explain. Wonderful. Now, uh, the first song <laughs> we're rushing around was fixing the technology. Yeah. We went with Band on the Run by yeah, Wings. Was, was, was there yeah. a reason why we played that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, a, a lot of um, a lot of what I talk about with regard to um, those that it inspired me it often comes back to my father, actually, and uh, he was a massive McCartney fan, um, and. Um, I remember the cassette band on the run being one of those first cassettes that I think just got played over and over and over again. And, um, and, and, and a particular holiday in Dorset in Swanage where um, they play band on the run. And I, I, I don't remember an awful lot from my childhood, but I do remember a house that we, we rented in the town. And I remember it being a balmy evening and I remember the curtains uh, fluttering, and I remember band on the rum playing, and it's a, a, a very strong childhood memory of of that particular cassette and that particular style of music, and it and it became an absolute. It, it just became synonymous with family, and and for me, it became the song that I played every single time, with the exception of Radio Hartford, uh, but 
every single radio station, I played that as my first song, and the song, ah. and my and my leaving song. Oh, how wonderful! And okay. um, it's almost uh, a I, signature song. For well, me. when we joke in the family that uh, if, you know the day that I shuffle off this mortal coil, it only seems appropriate that that should be the song <laughs> <laughs> that's played. All right. Well, you've chosen uh, Michael Jackson's song next. Mm, Any yeah. particular reason for this one? Well. I'm never quite sure whether these days you should you should claim to, and this is probably, you know, a cue for a longer conversation. But um, wh whether it's appropriate to to like Michael Jackson or want to play Michael Jackson songs, because obviously the the crimes that he's accused of, I I, I feel are particularly abhorrent. Um, but should you separate the music from the musician and judge it on the merits of the music, or or, or is it judged on the merit of the person? Um, and, and I find myself in a bit of a complex situation there where I don't quite know whether I should, uh, I should still like it or not. <laughs> but the, the song uh, yeah. reminds me so much of, of a particular occasion at Radio 1. Um, and and I just, it is just a song for me that says so much about, about that man. Make a change. <laughs> For once in my life <laughs> It's gonna feel real good Gonna make a difference Gonna make it right <laughs> As I turn up the collar on My favorite winter coat This wind is blowing my mind I see the kids in the street With not enough to eat
Michael Jackson, Man in the Mirror, here on Corby Radio. It's the Jukebox Drive-In, and we are talking to the legend that has <laughs> Mr. Neil James. <laughs> legend. Um, I only waited uh, well, uh, 25 yeah. years to do this interview. <laughs> so, Abs- Michael Jackson, yeah, should we yeah. play it? It's a great song. And, yeah. uh, do you know, we've debated this point on the Jukebox yeah. Drive-In several times, because if you go back over a lot of our favourite musical artists, you know, especially those from the 50s and 60s, they have very, how can I say, uh, colourful and sometimes blatantly illegal. I mean, some of them were locked up in prison. Um, but, you know, we carried on playing their records. And I, to me, I think the music is linked. It's part of our, us, our makeup. And just because you mm. like the record, I don't think that in any way endorses the lifestyle or the actions of the of the artist. But these records, they just disappear. You know, I mean, yeah. I th- you were saying to me that you're not sure that uh, that many stations actually are, are playing Michael Jackson well, songs I, at I, all. I haven't I haven't heard a Michael Jackson song played on a radio station for a long, long time. I, I maybe maybe I'm missing it, but I I haven't heard one. Um, but we didn't uh, get it, asked. It's interesting. There's a larger debate. I, I watched a film earlier on today, and there was to do with the, the career that, that I'm currently in, which is more to do with photography um, than it, it is to do with sound. And uh, there was a debate about separating the, the art from the artist. Um, that There's an awful lot of artists, photographers, cinematographers, who, who've done some terrible things, and uh, but their films are still watched. Um, their stories are still told. And it, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing to know right from wrong in this debate. Um, Oh, no, uh, I don't. I don't think it's a problem of knowing right from wrong, but it's the um, you know if the person concerned has been punished for what they've done, then um, and we they made some records that we liked. It seemed to me we should still be able to to play them because well, of course, of course you know, Jackson, the, the problem is every record people grab. I mean, yeah. that man in the mirror, it's a favourite of yours, and I bet yeah. you it's a favourite of a, a lot of other people. And it, and what what really worries me is that they these records have stopped being played it just happened they're not being played anymore nobody mm. asked us do you think we should still play those and uh, and that that's my concern it's a sort of hidden censorship people are making decisions on our behalves that we've never been consulted on well of anyway course, of course jackson will always will never ever have the the, the opportunity now to no. um to, to discuss that point himself but anyway the, the song itself though it's great um I, I, and why did you, know, you choose it well uh, again, it's a balmy evening story. There seem to be so many balmy <laughs> evening stories. Um, I went uh, in 92 to uh, Bucharest to, with BBC television and radio to do a co-presented um, pop concert that was covering uh, Jackson's first appearance in, in Romania. And I think it would be fair to say it was Romania's first ever such pop concert they'd ever had from, yeah. if you like, the, the so-called West at that at that point, and they hadn't long come out of this terrible regime of Ceausescu. Um, in fact, the hotel where I was staying, which was the uh, the Intercontinental Hotel in Bucharest, still had bullet holes in the wall um, and the sort of faded elegance. Of, of I a remember watching long, the shooting of Ceausescu yeah, live on TV. Yeah. Well, we we went to Ceausescu's palace a couple of... Well, I arrived in Bucharest, um, got settled in. They were still building the stage. Uh, the BBC was setting up, and, and I I had an opportunity to, to go tour the city. And I went to Ceausescu's palace, um, this huge monstrosity um, up on the hill. 
And legend has it, and I, I would imagine it was true, that he never wanted to see... Have the, I think it was about five or six roads coming yeah, off the Yeah, when the you palace. came into the airport, it stretched yeah, but, out, it seemed, for yeah. miles underneath the aeroplane as you came but into he, land. He, he wouldn't, he wouldn't accept being able to see cars driving along his roads. So wherever he was in the palace, apparently they would shut the roads that, that uh, led into that, that particular view. And we went to his, um, and even though he'd been dead a number of years by then, he still had this sort of this hold on, on the army and the people. It's almost this, kind of, don't say anything because he, he may just come back. And I remember being with the, the record executive, a guy called Sean Cooney, and Sean and I and our guide um, got into the palace um, for exchange of an enormous amount of cigarettes. And um, they took us up. They, they, they gave us this unofficial tour, these soldiers that, whose, whose job was to look after it. And uh, they let us go into what effectively was his, his main cabinet room, I think. And he had a chair. And I remember Sean saying to me, uh, Neil, take, take a picture, take a picture. <laughs> And I, I took a picture, and Sean was sitting in Ceausescu's <laughs> war chair, but not only sitting in it, he'd lent himself back and put his feet on the table, uh, for which the soldiers, of course, uh, for them, that was, um, who probably served under him, was probably the worst thing he could do. You're lucky he didn't get arrested. <laughs> Well, it got very close, yeah. and uh, the guide managed to talk us out of that situation, and we left rather hurriedly. But I, I do remember that particular song being played in the football, it would have been the International Football Stadium, I forget the name of the stadium, but it was, it was the International Football Stadium, and uh, it, it was played um, as, I think, the last but one number, or maybe, maybe the third to go, and the whole stadium just went quiet it was almost like bucharest went quiet as well you couldn't hear a horn you couldn't hear an aircraft nothing um if you'd have dropped a matchstick on the floor the yeah. old cliche would have been true and i looked around me and there was this quiet stadium and behind me were were a, a row of soldiers and um they many of them were crying oh. as he played this song and it was this haunting melody and i don't I, you know, I get goosebumps now thinking about it, that, that, that this whole place had come to a stop to watch this man sing. And this particular song was the one that brought them to their knees. It wow. was just, I can't... I don't That's a great story. Like uh, I've spent a bit of time, done quite a lot of business. In fact, I was in Romania yeah. just before lockdown. That was my last trip. Oh, well, and yeah. uh, there are bullet holes in quite a few buildings. You go to yes, Timisoara where... Um, uh, an uprising was put down. A bunch of students were were, were killed there. It was for them. It was a a, a really bloody time. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a wonderful story. So let, let's just pick up on 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 your career in so in hospital radio. I can see you did yeah. about three years. I remember you doing the eighty hour <laughs> marathon. Uh, yeah, and my apologies now. I never got the chance to say it at the time. But on the first yeah. day of your marathon, I think. You had several interviews, and we took you out for a live outside broadcast. Well, if you want to be on the air for 80 <laughs> hours non-stop, this was a really yeah. dumb thing to yeah. do. Yeah. And you can blame that on me, because really, you you know, you needed to settle down and take it steady. So it was no surprise that you... Yeah, I, you, I think I, I left it a sprint, didn't yeah. I, really? <laughs> you had a, a, a lapse. <laughs> so when did the, how did the first break into professional radio come from the hospital radio um, time? You know, the wonderful thing about... Um, about that is it, it was another complete happy accident 
um, in that um, I'd been right by then. I'd been writing to lots of radio stations, and there, and I've still got the and I've, I've kept them to this day. And it's, it, it's <laughs> well, a you folder. have to write a book, I think. It's, it's a folder, them then. Well, it's a folder full of no's, and um, so I'd been writing left, right, and centre. I'd written everywhere, in, including I remember writing to Boston for some reason in America. God knows what would have happened had they offered me a job. But I went on holiday um, with. Um, with uh, with a girlfriend to Lanzarote, and um, while we were there, um, we we got stopped in the street by somebody that was trying to make us go to look at timeshare, oh, uh, as yes. was <laughs> as was the thing at that stage. Now um, I was still too young to to buy a timeshare property, and and the guy that stopped us knew that, um, but he said, "Look, I need to make up my numbers. Would you please just go for me?" I felt so sorry for him. And I said, all right, then. OK. And, we, and so he literally he put us in a taxi there and then. Um, and we went firing off to this. This uh, it was called the Lanzarote Beach Club. And um, we had this uh, we had this tour of the of the facilities. And, and at the end of it, we were all herded into a room and, and a tough sale began. And um, it became very clear to them very quickly that we neither had the money or were old enough for this. And so they said, um, well, I'm afraid you're going to have to leave. Um, I, and I said, wait a minute. No, we were promised a radio because he'd offered us. He said, if you go, you'll get a radio on your way out. And I thought, that'd be great. I'd love a radio because um, we had nothing in the apartment. And I insisted on this radio. I said, I've got to have this radio. It's what you promised. It's only fair. And they gave us this radio. I took it back to the apartment that night. So I turned it on. And um, playing on the radio was something called Radio Tourist Lanzarote. And I said to Wendy, my girlfriend, I said, um, it's a radio station. I wonder if I write to them whether they'll give me a job because nobody else seems to want to. And she said, well, yeah, make sure you do it before we go home. And, and I did. And so you um, wrote to them. I wrote to Why them. Why didn't you I, just go and call on them? I should have done, shouldn't I? Yeah. But I wrote to them. A certain Maybe I was shyness a about your style. <laughs> Maybe. But two weeks later, um, after we got home, um, this wonderful chap, this actor from Hollywood, um, who was living on, on, on Lanzarote, who had a show, rang me up. He said, hello, my name's Eric. In fact, no, he, he, he spoke to my dad first. Yeah, he spoke to my dad first. And dad woke me up. It was a Sunday morning. It's very similar to the way I was offered the Radio 1 job, funny enough. And, and dad came through and he said... Um, said, so there's a chap on the telephone, says he's from Lanzarote, called Eric, and he wants to offer you a job. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm, I'm getting out of bed. Tell him I'll take it. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and this song? Well, this was, you know, he, he was an actor. Um, so he was, I think he would have been in his 60s at that stage. And he'd, uh, he'd acted in Hollywood and all his life, I don't think he'd had any speaking parts. I think that was the fun about it. That he'd always been the second most important actor next to Richard Burton, um, but without the speaking part. And he was so into music hall and old Hollywood and every, everything. And he had a show and it was called Anything Goes. And uh, it was the first thing that I heard. And, and for me, this is it. You know, this is his song. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven knows anything goes. 
authors too Who once knew better words Now use short letter words Right in prose Seems anything goes The world has gone bad today And good's bad today Black's white today And day's night today When most guys today That women prize today Just silly gigolos Although I'm not a great romancer, I know that you're bound to answer when I propose. Cause anything Gigolo. So though I'm not a great romancer, I know that you're bound to answer when I propose. Cause anything goes. Yeah, Bing Crosby, Anything Goes, chosen <laughs> by our special guest this hour, live here on Corby Radio. Neil James is with us. And uh, Oliver Penn has sent in a note. He's commenting about your the marathon broadcasts you did uh, on the hospital radio, where, where which would have been, I think, uh, 1983 or uh, 84. Yeah, and um, he's re- uh, he says, did you link with Steve Allen on LBC? Because Steve Allen, yeah. I think, is still on LBC. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah, doing he, overnight. I know. <laughs> I think it's installed there in the cupboard, yes, isn't he? Yes, um, sort of on permanent yeah, yeah, we did, call. Actually, yes, yes, we did. Um, twice, I think. He, he kept checking in to see if I was alive. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you get offered a job in Lanzarote and you say, yeah. I'll take it. So, yes, again, yeah. there's this, yeah, it's radio, I, I, it's the next, mm. it, I don't care what the next step is, but I want to take it, so it's Lanzarote. There was, mm. no, there was none of this, you know, I mean, a lot of youngsters say, oh, you know, I've got to travel for that. Well, it's a foreign no. place. Well, I'm not sure I like Spanish food, but no hesitation. <laughs> I'll take it. Really? Well, yeah, You're I as was, confident well, I was, as that? Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I said yes, I'll take it, because I thought I, I need to work in radio. I was working in newspapers selling situations ad, uh, um, uh, advertising, and, and I, I, you know, well, that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So, yeah, I, I was going to take that. Um, but um, it, it was difficult. I, I'm, I'm a bit of a homely chap, actually. And um, I, I didn't want to go to university. I really liked living in Hartford. I didn't envisage living anywhere else in the world. Um, and um, so I, I do remember, I remember turning up at the airport that morning and, and mum and dad um, <laughs> with my suitcase and one record box. And I said... Well, um, so you're uh, 21. Yeah, well, no, I had my 21st birthday there. I remember Ah, it was two two days later. Yeah. So, and I said to mum, I said, mum, two things, please promise. Dad, don't do your, listen, son, if you ever need us, (laughs) don't do that. And mum, please don't cry. Anyway, we got to the gate at Gatwick uh, for a, God, it was Monarch Airlines that long ago. And, um, and, uh, 
and mum, sure enough, started to cry. And dad started to do his, you know, look, son, <laughs> uh, if you ever need us thing. So when I was sat on the, I remember, I remember vividly being sat by the window on the aircraft, gripping hold of the, um, uh, of the, of the, the, the seat as we fired forward. Uh, and I was in, I was in bits. I was looking out the window, convinced I'd probably see them. <laughs> um, and uh, and this lovely old couple that was sat next to me, just they took charge from that moment and said, <laughs> "You'll be fine." And, and and then after that, I was really. I mean, I got to the airport um, at the other end, and um, and from that moment, really, I, I I felt like I'd arrived in radio, and it, this was my opportunity. And what kind of a radio station was 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 it Radio Lanzarote? What was it called? It, it, it was called Radio Tourist Lanzarote. It was owned by a, a German chap who named it RTL after Radio, Radio Tele Luxembourg, of course. He want, wanted a little bit of that uh, glory, I think. Um, it wasn't strictly legal. I didn't know that till I arrived. Um, and every time, this is, this is pre, you know, being able to work in, in Europe. And every time the Guardia Seville would, uh, would shuttle down the road with their green and white, um, what would they have been, Renault 4s, everybody used to dive for cover. Um, but somehow Peter had paid off all the mares that he needed to, and so therefore we were never touched uh, because we would have been an obvious target because there was I every day on the radio broadcasting <laughs> to, to the And to what the time island. were you on it? Um, I, I did a morning show 9 till 11, and then I did the evening 7 till 9. Ah, yeah. Ah. Yeah. And, it was great, and, and then it, we kept it. Was up. fun radio station? What sort of response? Yeah. yeah, well, was, I mean, I, I don't know whether it had a huge listenership. I mean, the the expats that lived in Lanzarote all listened to it because it was a way of them getting news. Um, because the BBC, I don't think there was a great reception in terms of being able to get the BBC for some reason. Um, so, so it was reasonably well listened to by expats and I had quite a few Spanish um, Canarian uh, listeners. But um, whether whether it actually appealed to the tourists, which it was really for, um, I think jury was always out on that one. Uh, how there long, were no ra- jars, how so long you could did never you tell. do that for? I did it for a year, not not uh, long. It's quite a long time, though, in the Canary well, yeah, Islands. Yeah, you must have yeah, got well, a bit bored of the Canary Islands by after um, a year. I think if you stay All on that sunshine, you know, and sangria well, and paella yeah, every day. Yeah. I think if you stay on Lanzarote in particular um, for too long, you um, you either go a, a little bit bonkers or you become an alcoholic because that seemed to be <laughs> the only thing I witnessed in my time there. But it's a lovely island and I'm, I'm drawn back so often to it. I haven't been for a few years now, uh, but I love it. I mean, there's there's a tranquility to that place as well, um, which I which I really love. But all the time I was writing to try and get um, jobs in radio back in the UK. So as soon as somebody offered me a job, I was And where was the next opening? Well, officially it was Ocean Sound, which Uh was a fairly new radio station. Yeah, down Southampton? Yeah. Well, sort of, yes, Sedgensworth. So it it broadcast to Portsmouth and and Southampton. And it had a real identity crisis because Southampton people don't want to ever be considered that they're anything to do with Portsmouth and vice versa. Yeah. And then they had the Winchester part of the operation as well, which really doesn't doesn't fit into Southampton or Portsmouth or Isle of Wight at all. But it was, it was uh, I met um, somebody there called Chris Carnegie, who is a, a legendary, in radio, is a pretty legendary character. 
Um, but I wasn't there long because um, Radio Cambridgeshire came knocking. They ah. offered me a job and Radio Cambridgeshire offered me a job at the same time. And I remember my dad saying to me, listen, son, um, the BBC won't come up knocking very often. So even though you want to work in pop music, I would take the BBC that, job. That's really so unusual that. for somebody who's mm. only just is 21 to get mm. offered a job at the BBC. And was this on the radio side or production or? And I started. Uh, I started in uh, as a. They called them production assistants at the oh. time. PAs. I don't. I don't think that that's around. Was anymore, that doing interviews that would be dropped into the program? Yep. Or yeah, precisely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it was interviews. It was playing out the tapes at the ungodly hours that nobody else wanted to play out. Um, I remember John Peel at the time also had a, a local show on it. That's how I started to get more interested and talk to people at Radio One. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, but it didn't take long before, um, I made my way in, into the, the afternoon show, um, which was one till four, which, an, which was an arts and entertainment you show. You probably were the youngest presenter at 21 um, years old, the youngest presenter on BBC local radio. It may, it may well have been. I think people used to say that, um, you know, there were a few there that were a few of the old timers that were a bit. Yeah, I can imagine. A bit, a bit, a bit spiky towards me, to be honest. Did they? Um, I just think they were. You, you were a, yeah. a, a real, a precocious talent undermining them. I mean, did they make you feel uncomfortable or you just thought, oh, I'll get yeah, I think they, I think they stomached me probably because they thought, well, we'll stick him on the arts show. At least he's not talking about news. Um, and But for me, that was the best place to be. And, and bizarrely, while I was there, um, I, um, I work, it as, as you know now, as a photographer and, and sometimes filmmaker. Um, and um, and I, I met a, a guy there while I was doing the afternoon show who was a photographer. And I, I remember at the time the production assistant saying to me, well, we're going we're gonna to do photography on the radio on Tuesday afternoons. And I said, don't be daft. Who wants to listen to people talking about photography on the radio? And of course, you know, history is funny how it repeats itself. And now I now I, I produce several podcasts. It's all about photography, essentially on the radio. But uh, but what's intriguing when I look at this story is that while at B BBC Local Radio, not only mm. are you somewhat younger, perhaps by ten to twenty years than the average age of a BBC Local Radio mm. presenter, but yeah. but you're also beginning to do nighttime shows for commercial stations now in, in, well, i'm sure yeah. some bbc people would have been yeah. deeply uncomfortable with that i was very lucky how did that, that come about i robbie i've spent my entire life flying under radars <laughs> i i you know i'm still waiting for the call from gchq or something to say you'd be a, a mammoth james bond because um you couldn't get arrested um but i, I i've kind of spent my life flying under radio radars and and at that time margaret hyde who was the managing editor of radio cambridgeshire and paul robinson who was the new program controller at uh, the sprightly chilton radio in the same same area um they they agreed that um because i was desperate to do some pop radio some music radio they said well look give him we'll let him i think margaret was she she was keen to keep hold of me for some reason maybe i was cheap um and and paul was keen to use me in the evening show so they did this deal that said well look as long as he is a different name on each radio station then we will ah. su 
we will support this. Um, so this explains <laughs> this how James yeah. Bartholomew Which on is my real name. Radio yeah. Cambridgeshire became yeah. Neil James. That's right. On Chilton Radio, well, well, well. Right. And Margaret Hyde then was she's legendary in in yeah. local radio yeah. oh, circles. It, it, yes, um, and she was yeah very very very, very supportive of, of yeah. you. Absolutely, she was very good, and there was never a problem. Um, I, and I, I did that for a couple of years, and until um, until Radio One came. Good training at Cambridgeshire. Very, yeah. And, what did and you learn? In fact, in fact, when you arrive, um, one of the one of the great things at that time was that the BBC training unit was very active. So therefore, I got my journalist training, and I. Um, I got some sports training as well, which was fantastic, and I got the opportunity to um, uh, to, to learn so much at, at that stage from people who, as you say, were 20, 30 years older, who, uh, as broadcasters, were very rounded, um, extremely good interviewers. There was one particular guy that um, that was an exceptionally good interviewer, and and how being in that building and amongst those people. Um, certainly shaped me without a doubt uh, you picked a holly's record from yeah. that period yeah. why this one well uh, i haven't really got a song that sort of signifies radio cambridgeshire but but this kind of is a crossover between radio cambridgeshire and radio one because and you might i might want to come back to the story after but as he used to simon bates because there was one particular day i was driving to work at cambridgeshire and our tune was on i don't you remember our yeah, tune uh, we could forget yeah. it so, um, and, and at that time, it was the biggest feature on British radio, purported to have somewhere between 9 and 11 million people listening to it every single day. And, and I was um, sat at the, the level crossing when the Hollies came on with a story. Uh, I don't recall the story at all, but I do remember being in tears um, at just how good the story was. Um, yeah, and, and this was the song that Simon Bates played in our tune and uh, I said I've got to be there The road is long With a many a winding tongue That leads us to who knows where
My brother, chosen by a special guest this hour, Mr. Neil James is with us, uh, live from Newbury. Now we've got the mm. technology is working mm. fine now. Now we've got it working. So there you are, BBC Radio Cambridgeshire, doing a, a afternoon art show. Uh, you, you probably could have stayed there for uh, for, for years, actually. You <laughs> I know, could still I mean, be some, there, yeah, you could be. Uh, there's a there's a broadcast on is there. It Chris I think South still is still there. Yeah, Chris South. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's he was there before I got there, and he's still there now. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, but the B- BBC local is not necessarily a job for life, but I think it has been for quite a few presenters. And uh, you were doing overnights at, at I see here at at, uh, at Chilton and, and, mm. and driving down to uh, to to Ocean Sound. Um, what was Chilton yeah. Radio like to to work with uh, at overnight? Oh. It was t- tremendously. Um, I mean, I was doing ten till ten till one. I think it was. Um, so I would uh, I would get up in the morning at uh, six o'clock and drive off to to Radio Cambridgeshire for the afternoon because there was quite a lot of work preparation work to do for a BBC show. So so one till four there. Then I'd grab a sandwich, get in the car, uh, and drive over to Chilton Radio. Be there for about eight thirty. Um, and uh, then I do that show, uh, come off air at one o'clock, drive home, wake up at six o'clock, start all over again. Good Lord, that, um, that really is burning the candle at both ends, <laughs> isn't it? But I loved it. I loved radio so much. There's something, I think if you've, if you've ever worked with sound, um, there's something magical about sound. I was listening to the Hollies and it's still, um, without it sounding a cliche, it still brings a tear to my eye because I remember that moment. It was at the Histon... Um, railway crossing um, Simon had told this just incredible it was a sad story, a family story I'm sure had, had linked it so beautifully played this song that meant something to them come out and, and, and made this sort of uh, back announcement just tied up the story beautifully he was a great storyteller um, I saw him recently, he still is a very good storyteller and and um, and, and it was that, that whole thing that whole thing about sound that that 
I would have happily only had two hours sleep a night. Kenny Everett once said that uh, telly is too much, but wireless is wonderful. And and uh, <laughs> did, I, yeah. I thought that yeah. was, I was shooting a three-minute video uh, a yeah. couple of weeks ago, and all oh, that faffing around. I said, you know, if this was a radio program, it'd be on and done by now. But uh, <laughs> so the, the 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 at Chilton, I think you met the person who would eventually lead you to Radio 1, is mm. that right? Yeah, that was Paul Robinson. He yeah. was the, uh, he became daytime editor at Radio 1. And uh, I must admit, he had some great talents at, uh, at that station, including Paul McKenna, actually. Yeah, there was some, it was a pretty remarkable. Yeah. He also had a guy called uh, Ray Wagstaff, Ping, uh, yeah. who used uh, to be Rob, on Rob Afternoon. Yeah, uh, Rob Wagstaff. Rob Wagstaff. Right. He was an Australian chap. Uh, no, he? no, he was, was he? Uh, black country. Oh, right, and, yeah. you know, so you're so right. listening, uh, was it not Ray Wag, Rob Wag, Rob Wagstaff? Rob Wagstaff, it's probably I'm like, sure it was Rob, it, yeah, Wagstaff, yeah. definitely. And so you listen to Waggy and he used to ping this bell. Yeah. So in addition to all these programs, you're, uh, you're also running discos, aren't you? Yeah, and, and th this is probably the, the reason for the next song. And, and so it's about not four hours of sleep a night and then you're going out <laughs> disco. Well, no, you, that, were you short was, of cash? That was the weekends. Um... <laughs> And I, I managed to find myself a residency at um, at a, a local pub in, in Hartford uh, called the John O'Gorn. I didn't have, um, I had this terribly heavy disco, which was, a, which, was, which was in essence a great big sideboard that came out of the house <laughs> with two mini bins. God knows how it got into a Honda Civic. This thing was like a dragster. Oh, yes, yeah, sure. I remember your little Honda Civic. And, 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 and on the top, I'd bought some trestle, um, uh, some, uh, what do they call them, the crisscrossy things you get at garden centres. And I stuck lights on them, and that was my, that was my disco. And um, it was a bit of a rowdy pub, this one. It was called the John O'Gaunt. But I, it was my residency, and I loved it. And, and did you? Uh, was this yeah. Clash record one that you uh, that you was, kept yeah. playing? Yeah, I played it again and again and again. And this was the last song I played there as well, because um, it, one night a fight broke out during this song, and somebody came flying across <laughs> out of this crowd, <laughs> smashed into my speakers, and that was the end of my disco career at the oh. John O'Gorn. Goodness so this was gracious. this was my if you like this was my disco swan song. I never DJed again there.
Radio and the Jukebox Drive-In. It's Robbie Owen here. We have another hour with our special guest, Neil James, in the next hour. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch, it's jbdi at robbieowen.com. On air, across Corby, this is the voice of Corby. Corby Radio 96.3. From the Sky News Centre at nine, police in Birmingham have now released CCTV footage of a man they want to speak to following a series of stabbings which left a 23-year-old man dead. Seven other people were injured, two of them seriously, in the random attacks overnight in the city centre. Barbara Jachikova was on a video call with her friends when one of the incidents unfolded. I could hear people screaming outside, so I went to look and then I saw guys walking around, running, screaming, help and saying that there's someone should call an ambulance. I looked to the side and I could see people on the floor laying down, so I got a bit worried. The Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, says a sharp increase in COVID-19 cases across the UK is concerning. Almost 3,000 have been recorded, compared with fewer than 2,000 yesterday, the highest daily total since the 23rd of May. The Labour leaders described Extinction Rebellion protests outside printing presses on Friday night as wrong and doing nothing to tackle climate change. The party's former Shadow Home Secretary, Diane Abbott, has defended the group and compared them to the suffragettes. In sports, Joss Butler's helped England's cricketers clinch a 2020 series win over Australia. His unbeaten 77 contributed to a six-wicket victory and unassailable 2-0 lead with a match to spare in Southampton. Captain Owen Morgan says it was an improved performance from the bowlers. To make inroads on a wicket like that was fantastic. Sometimes you don't have a bit of luck, but we had it in the first six, making inroads into that top order. So that made life a little bit easier throughout the middle. And the guys still bowled really well and then finished well. So we were happy chasing down a total like that. In football, Wales clinched an injury time winner in the 1-0 victory over Bulgaria in Cardiff to continue their 100% start to the Nations League. Elsewhere, Republic of Ireland lost 1-0 to Finland in Dublin. And at the Italian F1 Grand Prix, a pit stop error meant Lewis Hamilton was penalised and had to settle for 7th place. That's the latest. I'm Kevin Gover. Corby Radio. Corby Radio. Weather. Well, the weather tomorrow in Corby looks pretty good. It's a dry day, lots of sunny spells in the morning, but by 2 o'clock the cloud will have thickened up, although the peak temperature will be 20 degrees, so it should feel quite nice. The wind will get uh, stronger during the afternoon, uh, gusting to about uh, 12 miles an hour in the afternoon, so a bit breezy, but uh, sunny intervals staying dry. Overnight into Tuesday, it's going to go down to about 15 degrees, so a very mild night, and then cloudy all day on Tuesday. Could feel a bit muggy, though, light breeze is coming from the west and the maximum temperature 22 on Tuesday and staying dry. Again a very mild night uh, from Tuesday into Wednesday and then Wednesday again cloudy 19 degrees and staying dry with gentle breezes. Shall I have a look at Thursday? Thursday also looks uh, like uh, a nice day. Some sunshine maximum temperature 17 or 18 on Thursday and staying dry. In fact at the moment we're not showing any rain at all for the week ahead so uh, Tomorrow should be quite a nice day in Corby. Robbie Owen, the jukebox driving.
good to the very last drop. Mr. Blue Sky, the Electric Light Orchestra, chosen by our special guest this hour. Neil James is with us on the jukebox drive-in. And um, the name at Chilton Radio that we couldn't remember, thanks to Mike Barrowcroft, it was Pete Wagstaff at Chilton. He says he remembers mm-hmm. Paul McKenna on there as well. He did the breakfast show. Yeah, yes. what a lineup! Paul McKenna's gone on to make a few bob, hasn't he? Yeah, well, he was doing his hypnotic show at the time, and um, and so there was a crossover period, um, including when he was at Radio One. Actually, I, re- I remember um, being with him in a park once, and um, I don't know if it was the the blue sky, maybe in reference to the last one. I don't know, but or the alcohol that we were all consuming in Regent's Park at the time. But he had us all running around the park like chickens apparently uh, <laughs> uh he was he was he was uh, testing part of his show and uh, yeah some very funny funny memories so you're course. susceptible to hypnosis i i i, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I, I i have a suspicion we were probably all playing up to it and rather enjoying it all right <laughs> so there you are at Chilton Radio, you, mm. you really, you know, the radio career is really looking pretty good and uh, and i can remember obviously i kept an eye on what was going on, because I'm thinking, there's, there's one of the guys I helped train at, at Radio Hartford. Yeah, um, yes. And, it, you know, I thought, oh, left the BBC, gone to Children Radio. That, sound, that, yes. that doesn't sound like a good move. But, uh, well, yeah. the next one took us all by surprise. Well, I mean, it was helped, wasn't it, really, by, by the fact that, um, although, I mean, I was just one of, of many presenters at Chilton and Horizon that Paul could have taken. Um, and... Um, he decided to uh, to take me across. So why um, did Paul Robinson ask you and not all the others? Well, I, I, I think I'd, I'd started to build a bit of a relationship with Radio 1 anyway. I'd, I'd been in to see Johnny Beerling, who was the then controller, um, because while I was at Radio Cambridgeshire, and, and having the advantage of being able to do pop music radio in the evening and, and you know, BBC stuff during the day, meant that I had, uh, I, that I had my BBC ID badge. So, um, you know, I didn't have to send a demo tape to Radio 1. I could walk in the door and put it on his desk. And did you do that? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. But by then, some of the shyness had disappeared, really. Well, was Johnny Beerling, I mean, he's a legendary character. What was he like mm. to oh, uh, he was, deliver a tape to? He, I, I think, um, I think he humoured me, um, to be honest, to start with. Um, and I saw him, funny enough, recently. I went to do some portraits with him. And uh, he said, uh, it's about a year ago, he did say, he said to me, uh, God, he said, uh, if, I, I, if I hadn't given you a job, I, I'm a bit fearful that you would have just kept knocking at my door. <laughs> um, and um, so I, I think a few things kind of lined up, really. Paul was there, Johnny knew me. Um, I, I was beginning to make more regular pilgrimages to London. Um, and, and so it kind of all really worked and it and was another of those phone calls yeah, to your dad to it offer was you. now at the time at radio cambridge we had a an engineer called john hocking and uh, john and i got on really really well he was a good classic bbc engineer um you know could could you know mend something with a, the end of a, a tuppence coin if he needed to and um and and he often used to because it was it was no secret i was trying to join radio one and um, and John would often pretend he was Johnny Beerling. And he'd, he'd, he'd call me up on the intercom and say, oh, it's Johnny Beerling here. That was a terrible link that you just did. Could you do it again? It, it's all that kind of stuff. And and it was another Sunday morning. I'd sent off... Radio 1 were coming up to 
a bit of a pivotal period in their history of having 24-hour, because up to that stage, uh, Radio 1, you know, the largest radio station in the country, still didn't go 24 hours. They they shut down and passed on to Radio 2. So it was, it was you know, an odd decision for, for the most popular network, arguably in Europe, to, to be doing that. Um, and so they've been making plans behind the scenes for a 24-hour lineup. I'd been doing this this evening show in the kind of style that I think they were looking for at Chiltern Radio. Paul was there, who was to become the editor at Radio 1. And so it all kind of fell in. And so it was um, one Sunday morning, <laughs> there was a phone call. And um, it's exactly the same as the Radio Tourist Lanzarote um, conversation, although it's a different radio station. Again, I'm, <laughs> I was in bed. Um, I must have been extraordinarily lazy on Sunday. No, it's all those discos, yeah, and all the work during the week. And um, (laughs) Dad knocked on the door. He said, um, Johnny Beerling's on the phone. I thought, oh, God, of course he is. (laughs) You thought it was the engineer. (laughs) I thought it was John the engineer. And um, I went to the phone. I said, John, what do you want? And this voice on the the other end of the phone said, it's Johnny Beerling. And I said, of course it is. What do you want, John? And he said, well, I'm just calling because um, we wonder if you'd like to come to London to come and have a conversation about joining an exciting new project we're planning. And and it, it sort of, it kind of dawned on me during this conversation that maybe this didn't sound like John Hocking after all. And uh, and it was actually Johnny, Johnny Beerling. And um, by the end of the conversation, of course, I was, I think, stuttering and dribbling probably by the end of it. But um, I, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to come up there. And, and I did. And um, and the rest really is, is um, albeit a little bit too short in terms of history for me, I think. But So but your first programme was, was, can you remember uh, when was, it was? Yeah, and it, what was time? A night, it was a nighttime show. It was, um, I think it was after Bob Harris. Um, I was at two in the morning, I think. Um, so it was, you know, it was, it was the middle. I, you know, it didn't, didn't matter to me. I was on Radio 1. Who cared? And, um, yeah. And I so started. This is I, early yeah. 90s then. 1991. Yeah. 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 1991, 92. Yeah. Um, when, when Radio 1 went 24 hours. And, uh, and I was part of the lineup. Yeah. And what was it like doing that first program? Um, I, do you know, I don't recall. I've never. <laughs> When it's come to radio, I don't think I've ever been tremendously nervous. Which Did is you a, start with Band on the Run? Thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I ended at Chilton with it and started at Radio 1 with it. In fact, I ended at Chilton and Radio Cambridgeshire with it and started at Radio 1 with it. Um, yeah, and I, the atmosphere I, I, of the radio station. Oh, I mean, you exciting. know, at that point, yeah, you, yeah. you felt, I've arrived, I'm here. Yeah, and I was working alongside people that I was absolutely inspired by. And and I know some people say well, Radio One's pop music. It's you know, it's all a bit brainless, isn't it? But I I didn't think so. I I thought it was you know in in terms of communication, and the way it communicated to its listeners. And arguably at the time, some people said it needed to be younger. And I was part of the young lineup, I suppose. Uh, I just thought you know. I'm I'm amongst legends here. There's Alan Freeman, John Peel, um, Steve Rice, and and people like that. And I, I you know, they were now my colleagues. They were no longer people I was listening to. These were people that I was spending lunch times with. And and for me, it was if there is such a thing as being a kid kid in the sweet shop. <laughs> I I was I was I was gorging on as many 
blocks of candy as I possibly could. Sounds almost surreal. Let, let's yeah. have a... You've chosen a tune yeah. uh, from Incognito from that, that mm. around that Radio 1 time. Yeah, Why the, this one? Well, at the time, pluggers would come in and play you songs um, because they obviously wanted to get their songs played on Radio 1. They had a bit more access to us than they do these days, I think. And this plugger came one day with a cassette machine and he said, I want to play you, before you go to lunch, I, I want to play you a, 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 a something uh, from a new band and I think you'll like it. And, uh, and he, he pushed me into a, a, a room. Stuart was his name. Sadly, he's no longer with us, actually. Uh, and uh, he popped this cassette machine, banged this cassette machine down, pressed play and said, this is the greatest song you're ever going to hear. And started playing this song, Always There, by Incognito with Jocelyn Brown. And, um, and I listened to it and, yeah, it was, I, I felt well and truly plugged. I said, it's on. Yeah, it's on. And did you play it that night? Yep, straight away. I, I came out the playlist and just played this one as my first song that night. Result.
The Jukebox Drive-In here on Corby Radio and we are talking to Neil James and going through his broadcasting story and he's just arrived at Radio 1 as uh, Incognito with Jocelyn Brown. I haven't heard that for ages. Mm, good, I love that. Good dance record, <laughs> almost there. So uh, I, I remember speaking to you very briefly around the time that you were at Radio 1 Mm. And said, you know, are you having a great time? You know, you've arrived, you've cracked it. And I can remember, you made a comment, I can't remember the exact words, but it was the pressure that you felt. Because, you mm. know, people like uh, Simon Bates and others saw you as, you know, the new kid on the block. <laughs> and, um, you know, you weren't viewed necessarily as their best friend. Uh yeah, I think it was, um, I think when you arrive somewhere amongst people that are <clears throat> so established, um, there's bound to be a little bit of pushback. Funnily enough, the pushback didn't really come from um, people that were truly established by, by you know, people like John Peel, um, who, were, who were tremendously generous to me. Um, and Alan Freeman that I mentioned before, who, you know, was also tremendously generous. It, it came, <clears throat> I suppose, really from some of the daytime uh, guys who I was beginning to fill in for more and more often. Ah, yeah. And, uh, and in particular, there was a, an awkward situation when Simon Bates was, um, and it was well documented at the time, was suspended. And... Um, and they came to me and said, right, you've got his show. And I thought, what, have I got his show? Uh, but they meant only for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but uh, at that point, um, writing the Bazaar column was a guy called Piers Morgan. Um, this was long before he became the superstar that he's, he's become. And, and um, he started really stirring the pot and uh, decided to make me the new mid-morning presenter. Ah. Which, of course... Um, didn't go down too well. Did people with, uh, think that you had instigated that? Um, I, well, no, I've never thought of that. No, I, I, maybe they did. Did, did you never drop any stories to Piers Good Morgan? God, no. No? no, 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 no. In fact, um, yeah, no, um, never. I, that I must have made have you that. feel uh, even more under pressure then, you know, because I'm sure yeah, Simon Bates wasn't happy about you doing his programme. Well, and then then the rumours sort of started about some other shows and and things like that. And this is a time I mean, Radio One's very different now. And that that uh, yeah, there are some key members, but actually the players change a little bit more often than they ever did. When you got to Radio One at that particular stage, you were there, um, uh, and with everything that came with it, Top of the Pops and all, all those other sorts of things. And, and did you do and, Top of the Pops? Only once as sort of a co-presented one. Um, right. Who with? But, but I think it was with Lynn Parsons, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, it's but, easy to forget the atmosphere of Radio 1 then was with people like DLT and Alan mm, Freeman and John mm. Peel uh, and Simon Bates. There was an atmosphere in the press, particularly the music press, that the, the station was, you know, out of date and that the, the, all the yeah, oldies had yeah. taken it over. Yeah. So, you know, against that backdrop, I guess you were seen as a real threat. And I was in the middle of that war, really, because um, because I was one of the younger DJs with Gary King, Paul McKenna, um, Lynn Parsons, Jackie Brambles, I guess, although she was more established at that stage, obviously. And and yeah, I, there was a little bit of that beginning to uh, beginning to hit the press, and certainly the sun. 
the sun were running. And it just became a campaign for them that, that for some reason they had to change radio. It became the sun's sort of thing at the time. Yes. That they had to change Radio 1, that, that, that it was all a load of dinosaurs. But people forget that actually this, this load of dinosaurs... Yeah, it only got 10, 11 million listeners. Yeah, well, more, <laughs> yeah. And, and more than that when it came to the top 40. And if, uh, if you put the Radio 1 roadshow on Blackpool Beach, it was beginning to attract 25, 30,000 people. So... You know, this wasn't this wasn't some sort of uh, station that people were beginning to forget. It was something that they were still embracing, oh. but it didn't it didn't suit the the narrative and the rhetoric. I think of of some of the people in the press at the time, and and so yeah, it's easy really to want, forget yeah. there, there was a, a, an unmiss. You know, they yeah. should all be on radio too. Yeah. Was yeah. the was yeah. the the daily, and so yeah. there you are. You caught him. Was it? Were there any occasion when you you know you were in the studio or you're you're in the office when someone said something to you that you found uh, you know somewhat uh, unnerving? Unnerving, as in make you feel un uncomfortable or unwelcome? Then, uh, not particularly. I, th I think the stuff. It, I think the BBC is very. It's a place where you where you so hear stuff, but you very rarely hear it said to your face. Uh -huh. The BBC is very much like that. And I remember getting a bit of advice um, from uh, from one of the presenters who said, you know, play the corridors, lad, play the corridors. And I wasn't particularly good at playing the corridors. In fact, I was I was pretty bad at playing the corridors. And so that really yeah, didn't Yeah, the little chats with people in the yeah. lift or going up and down yeah. the stairs. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we have another tune? Now, you've chosen a real stomper mm. here. W were you mm. still doing any road shows? Or you'd, you, uh, well, I guess you may be out on the Radio 1 road show rather than your own yeah, disco yeah. when this yeah. was I, around. Yeah, well, uh, Loaded um, Primal Scream um, was... Um, I, I was doing quite a lot of um, filling in for Mark Goodyear. Um, and uh, this is before I got the Sunday show before the, the top 40. And this particular song had just just come out. And it, it really is, for me, it's anthemic of that particular period. I mean, it's still one I play very loudly in the car. Um, it's got uh, the P Peter Fonda's um, sample from the... Um, it's a 1960s Hell's Angel movie. I mean, this, this... Yeah, I think it's from song. Easy Rider, I think. It's just Easy what Rider. is it that you want to do? Well, we want to be free. We want to be free to, to do what we want to do. And we want to get loaded. So you're we secretly a hippie at heart. What we're going to do. Here's Primal Scream. We're going to have a party.
Just what is it that you want to do? I'm gonna get deep down, deep down. Sad. I'm gonna get deep down, deep down. Woo! Scream and Loaded. What a great record that is. Chosen by our special guest, Neil James, is with us. Dave Randall says, I remember the openings of Radio 1, Chilton Radio, Capital Radio and Heartbeat FM. I also turned up the Chilton Radio open days and outside broadcasts. He says, Radio 2 seems to appeal to a younger audience. Now I'm too old for it. My son and daughter (laughs) listen to it. (laughs) So, there you are at Radio 1. Yeah. And there's a campaign in The Sun with Piers mm. Morgan saying you should get the bait show. <laughs> and then a new... Uh, they appoint a new manager, don't they? Matthew yeah, Bannister I mean, arrived. It, it had started all... It was all falling into place, really. Um, I started doing a Sunday afternoon show called Rockline, um, of which my boss was Noel Edmonds, bizarrely. It was the very first... Um, it was the very first independent radio production that certainly that Radio One had uh, had aired, made by a company called Unique, and um, so that was called Rockline, and that and that um, was just before the top forty. So that that was pretty good listening figures actually. It was a, a, a much larger audience than I'd been used to, um, and uh, and and so that was really beginning to elevate stuff nicely. I was doing the Radio One road shows, um, and then. Um, and then I I did a stint on mid mornings. Um, I think I might have done three weeks, possibly more actually. And then then really it it did start to that the sort of rumor mill really did start to to turn then. Um, and then the new boss arrives, and I remember it distinctly because there were uh, the the controllership of Radio One is probably the most powerful at that time uh, position you could have as a as a boss on radio, and um, Johnny had uh, had been doing it for years and years. He'd been a producer. That then he'd become a controller, and so he felt it was time to move on. And um, there were three people in the running. There was Paul Robinson, who was my boss, who had brought me from Chilton, who'd pretty much sort of uh, helped engineer everything that was going on at Radio One. I thought, well, this will be good if he gets it. Fantastic. We'll pop the champagne right now. So there was him. Uh, there was a guy called Chris Lysett who was um, who was one of the uh, one of the managers at, at Radio One, and I was particularly friendly with him, and uh, and that looked good because he'd been hiring me for all sorts of stuff. Um, there was there was an outsider who um, whose name 
um, escapes me. So there was actually four, but the the one that the the one that was very much on the outside of it that I thought, well, maybe I don't know, was a guy called Matthew Bannister. Where did he um, come from? Well, he'd been at uh, Greater London Radio, but, but ah. uh, what was BBC Radio London, of course. Well, so been under the noses up. of the bosses for you know the very much top brass yeah, of the much. BBC, yeah. And so um, we were all gathered one afternoon um, for the. Uh, you know, to, to for the controller to be revealed before um, the press were told, and um, it was it was quite dramatic, really. It was this kind of like door opening, and and then in will walk your new hmm. your new controller. And so we were all looking at that door, and I was thinking, well, you know, two or three out of the four will be fantastic for me, and then this outsider, who knows? Um, and um, and it was announced, here's your new controller. Matthew Bannister, and my heart just sank. I thought, hmm. And it's almost like I knew at that moment. I thought, you know, last in, first out is a great expression, isn't it? Yep. Particularly in radio. And, um, and, and, so, and so that came to pass. And, and Blood on the Carpet, which became the, the programme about Radio 1 and all the stars that were pushed or departing or, or like DLT had resigned on air, it... Um, it all it all started fizzling down the was, corridor. Was that Matthew Bannister's vision, or was he just carrying out the the views of the board that Radio One had to get much younger? I suspect it was a bit of both, but of course I was in my twenties, so actually I I, I fitted. I thought um, you must have felt very resentful to be treated as one of the dinosaurs. Uh, yeah, I think I was actually. It was it was a it was tough. Um, and, and how I, did you cope with that? Well, I remember going to the controller's office one afternoon, and I'd I'd been I'd been doing a bit, and I thought well, it's time to take some of my ideas to him, just to say hello properly. And uh, I knocked on the door, went in, and he said, "Ah, oh, Neil, I'm, I'm glad you've come. I wanted to have a chat with you." And I thought, "Oh, this will be good." And I said, "I've wanted to have a chat with you as well, Matthew." Had all my I had a load of bits of paper with ideas on them, and he said. Um, he said, well, he said, um, I've got some news for you, and it's not going to be good. I mean, at, at least he did that thing that they, they suggest you do in corporate world, which is if you've got some bad news, just come straight out with it and don't feather around it. Just get on with it. And he, came, he, got, he got on with it, to be fair. And he gave me an ultimatum. Um, don't think I've, I've ever discussed publicly, but uh, the ultimatum was, you know, you behave yourself for... Uh, um, I think I have six months left on my contract. And he said, well, you can go now and we'll pay you the rest of it. Or if you want to play out your contract um, and stay another six months, then I expect that you won't be speaking to the press, will you? Um, I said, no, had I the won't. Uh, so, DLT so resignation decision? on air oh, that, happened yeah, by that, this that time? Had gone. So that was, that was I gone, guess yeah. the, and that must have really mm, uh, yeah. soured the atmosphere. You know, yeah, if we're going to get much. rid of these people, yeah. it would be a case of yeah. uh, actually that was your last program. Goodbye. That's right. Yeah. Steve Wright had, had resigned as well. Um, so I, I looked at him and I said, "You know what? I'm having a I'm having a great deal of fun, and I'd like another six months of fun. Thanks very much." So I won't say anything to the press, and I'll, I'll stay on. You must be quite proud of yourself looking back at giving that answer then. Yeah, I mean, I, I was absolutely devastated. I, I left Radio 1 that day with my head high, but actually my head was really low. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, 
it was just that was my dream job. Um, so you did it, it, those six months, yeah, um, and and I guess you watched all the turbulence around you. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about radio? Did you feel that that actually this is it? Uh, I should go and do something else, or were you determined not, not to carry on no, the radio career? Because no. I'm no, just no, thinking, just... by now you've been in radio about uh, well ten years, including the hospital radio. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't ready to give it in at all. Um, I, I, you know. And how do you what, feel about Matthew Bannister now? Because uh, the net result of those changes was that three million yeah. listeners left in in under a year. And they've never come back. Yeah, I, I don't. I know there were some Radio One presenters at the time that rather dined out on the fact it was all failing. Um, I don't think I was one of those. I was disappointed, um, but I, in the back of my mind, I remember the, the very last conversation I had with Matthew was, um, "Do you think there's any chance of me coming back one day, Matthew?" And he said, "Never say never," and that was enough for me just to retain <laughs> yeah. a little bit of faith. And so when I left, I thought. Never say never. And, and it's something I've always lived by. And where did you go next? So I went to 210FM, which was um, a radio station in Reading. Yeah. yeah. Um, with quite a great history because 210, funnily enough, uh, when it was Radio 210, had launched the careers of Mike Reed and Steve Wright as a, as a double act. So um, it had some good connections to some solid broadcasters. And um, I'd never done a breakfast show. I'd, I'd filled in for breakfast shows, but I'd never done a breakfast show. And the fact that they said, we've left Radio 1, um, there, there's, a, there, there's an opening here. How do you fancy coming to do a breakfast show? I thought, how do you fancy it? Of course I fancy it. <laughs> and um, so I stepped out of Radio 1 and into a breakfast show. So I left on Saturday and started on the Monday. Oh, OK. And, so and you didn't have time to sit around and brood no. and think, I'm, oh. Oh, I'm an ex-Radio 1 DJ. What am I going to do oh. about that? Good God, no, I just wanted to get on with it. And what um, was it like getting up early to do a breakfast show? Because you've been doing overnights and afternoons yeah. and mornings. Well, mm, alarm clocks I, were probably new to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were. Um, I, I loved it, absolutely loved it. I got up at four o'clock every morning to do a show at six o'clock, six till ten. Um, and it was a, you know, it was a light, fluffy commercial radio zoo format show. Um, I made some great friends uh, with the, the news team and um, somebody who's funnily enough gone on to be the Australian version of Paul McKenna. Um, and uh, it was just, it was glorious. Absolutely loved it. Um, I spent about two or three years, three years, best part of three years doing that breakfast show. Great. Sounds like a real tonic after the, the disappointment oh, at Radio 1. very much. Now, very you've much. chosen a very important Elton John song, I think, next. This is yeah. quite important to you personally. Well, Tell us about Circle of Life. Elton, the Circle of Life is a, is a, you know, it couldn't be more appropriate as a title. My father, and funnily enough you, Robbie, as well, were very responsible for, for me working in radio. And, and whilst there were bosses and moments that... Um, you know, happy accidents, as we've discussed already. Um, you know, it would be my father who uh, listened to demo tapes for hours. We used to do, we used to do washing up in the evening after mum had made the dinner. The the, the deal was, look, mum's done the dinner, we'll do the washing up. So he'd sit there and I'd play him cassettes of my demos. And dad would listen patiently to all these dreadful cassettes. And it'd give me, um, you know, the the benefit of, uh, of his opinion of being a, a salesman. Um, but uh, and, and not knowing much about radio, but he was he was very good, and he, he and he was a real driver, and, and quite literally a driver, because 
you know, on some of those nights where I was so tired I couldn't, you know, even see, he he would he would turn up and, and be the the lift for me, and then get up the next day and do a job himself. I mean, I can't tell you what a support he was. And then one morning, in the breakfast show at two ten, um, I got a phone call from my auntie that said um, you need to come quickly to back to Hertfordshire. Um, your dad's not very well, and and within. Uh, what was it? I drove there as quick as I could, like a bat out of hell. Um, and um, and by the time I got there, he was very poorly. And then he died literally an hour later. And then you see that that person who who was very much my 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 inspiration of my life was suddenly gone. And it was suddenly. And um, he was a massive Elton John fan. And and so was my mum, and I think this song actually says something about both of them, because there's more about mum as well. From the day we arrive on the planet And blinking step in to the sun There's more to than can never be seen More to do Than can never be done Some say eat or be eaten Some say live and let live But all I agree Is to join the stampede you should never take more than you give in the circle of life. It's the wheel of fortune. It's the leap of faith. It's the band of
John and Circle of Life. Very special song to our special guests, mm. Neil James. Sad story, that. Well, yeah, and, and when Dad passed, um, for me that was it in radio. I, I, I kind of, I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, so I, I, I spent a little bit longer at 210, but my heart had gone, to be honest. And, uh, and I, the, you know, if anything spells sort of the end of my passion for radio at that particular time, that was Dad passing. And, and I, and I just, I turned up to work two weeks later. They gave me two weeks off, I remember. And I turned up two weeks later and, and everything had changed. Um, the passion for it had just a little bit of me had died, to be honest, as well. And then that song, we also played at my mother's funeral, and I just think it's fitting for them for them both, really, because they were huge Elton John fans. And I, I really, really listened to that song um, because uh, it's a very difficult song to listen to, but it's a very important song. So after that... You went off to the radio training school, so you you, you weren't yeah. behind the microphone anymore. But you were trying to to teach yeah. those that were aspiring to do it. How did you find teaching people? Was it frustrating, or, or was it more? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was at times because you know I've I mean, trained a few broadcasters yeah. in my time, and the yeah. the brightest ones are always so headstrong. Sometimes they yeah. won't listen. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I met some some great people doing it. And some people have gone on to, you know, occasionally I hear somebody on radio when I'm, I'm, I'm going around the country. And I think, oh, I remember them. And that's a joy. I, I, I needed to do something different. That, actually, that is, you, you're quite right. Isn't it a pleasure when somebody yeah. you've trained? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, yeah. Whenever I see Sarah Champion on the TV or hear on the radio, <laughs> I'm thinking, I gave her a first full-time radio job. Yeah. yeah. She um, has not disappointed. She, yeah, she's a phenomenal uh, broadcaster, Sarah. She's done so well, hasn't she? Um, yeah, and, and so actually swapping... I, I, sometimes I describe it as being the air marshal instead of the pilot. Um, you know, and there were times that I used to look out the window and wish I was still flying. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think it was, it was a good time. I was offered an opportunity by a former colleague from Radio 1, Bruno Brooks, who was uh, opening this radio school. I think he saw it as very commercial, and I did as well, because it needed to be commercial. But I, I saw it as a way of staying in radio without having to do radio, because I, I didn't want to do it anymore at that stage. But I loved it so much. And so the ability to, the, the, the opportunity, not the ability, the opportunity to, to train broadcasters to do this thing that I loved so much... And to see it in people's eyes as they came in. And who, and they loved, they loved uh, who were much. your most famous pupils? Well, I don't know if I've got famous, famous pupils, but... Uh, well, the ones that gave you the most satisfaction. Uh, well, there's a guy called Dave Willett, actually, um, who has done phenomenally well. Um, I'm not sure if he was doing some before he came to me, and we maybe polished him, I don't know. But Dave Willett, I remember... There was a chap, and I'm trying to remember his name, who was involved in a, a jewellery heist oh. that went on to become a very good... <laughs> talk radio um, oh. presenter and the name escapes me which is terrible isn't it but and you but, also yeah. got involved with online um, and mm. uh, you know i'd never even heard of on i mean I'm, i was very clued up in technology yeah. and i knew that mm. some stations were experimenting with streams online i thought well that'll never work and <laughs> and you launched storm live with with bruno brooks i mean you were about yeah. 20 i mean uh, online radio is just coming of age now you were about 20 years ahead yeah. of your time yeah uh, yes and didn't we know it we um 
Look, we were just before the, the dot-com uh, dot bubble bursting. And and so, you know, there was an awful lot of interest in IT, wasn't there? And and all these projects and, and the web. And and so we thought, well, let's put a radio station on the web um, because, you know, you'll be able to listen to this anywhere in the world. We've got a whole load of celebs and, and very talented broadcasters to come and be on that radio station, some, some EastEnders actors and... Um, and and it it was great. I mean, it had vision, um, it literally vision. It was in vision and it was on the radio. Uh, and we essentially just said, and I was the program controller, and and I said, well, look, practically anything goes, guys. You know, do what you want to do. And we had a loose playlist, but I, you know, I said, if you break the playlist, who cares? <laughs> um, and I, I think to the presenters that were there, um, it was like a dream come true. They were earning really good salaries. We were being propped up by people thinking that there was there was gold in every hill that had anything to do with the web. Um, <laughs> and then then we had my my Matthew Bannister moment came all over again when the dot com bubble burst. Yeah. Pretty and, uh, dramatic, wasn't it? Yeah, and and it was dramatic. And it, I mean, it, 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 we fought on with it, but it never really lived. Now you've chosen a track from Stormzy. Well, I think yeah. this is uh, uh, the the newest record on the jukebox <laughs> drive-in ever. Why this well, I one? Yeah, I, I, uh, there's a part of me that's being, I suppose, a bit of a devil, really, in doing that because I thought I bet Robbie's never ever played anything as modern as this. So I I'll have choose... heard of him. <laughs> no, it wasn't so much that. I was thinking that you know, with your, with the idea of of, of uh, the wonderful memories you play, I want I wanted to perhaps bring something that was really new, yeah, well, newish. I, I this, I mean, this particular song that says twenty twenty to me and the year that's become what did the Queen say in ninety two? Our Annus Horribilis, didn't she? Yeah. I mean, this has been that year, but this song always sounds like hope to me. It was played on Hoot Nanny, Jules Holland's. 2019 into 2020 um, and uh, I just love it it's, it's the, the melody of it everything about it beautiful searching every corner of my mind looking for the answers I can't find I have my reasons and life has its lessons I try to be grateful and count all my blessings But heavy is the head that wears the crown Amen in Jesus' name, yes, I declare it. Any little seed I receive, I have to share it. Brothers, when they break me down, I can't bear it. But heavy is the head with the crown, I still wear it. You can't hold me down, I still hold. Rain falling down at the bricks, I'm still soaked. Try to put a hole in a fish, we'll build boats. Two birds with one stone, I pull both. Pray I never lose and pray I never hit the shelf. Promise if I do that, you'll be checking on my health. If it's for my people, I'll do anything to help. If I do it out of love, it's not to benefit myself. Ooh, gotta stay around but make a comeback too. I know my only mother wants a son back too. They're saying I'm the voice of the young black youth And then I say, yeah, cool And then I buy my zoo And now I'm Searching every corner of my mind Searching every corner Look for the answers Looking for the answers I can't find No, I can't find them No silver I have my reasons Life has its lessons I try to be grateful 
Count all my blessings, but heavy is the head that wears the crown. Amen in Jesus' name, oh yes, I claim it. Any little bread that I make, I have to break it. Brothers wanna break me down, I can't take it. I done a scholarship for the kids, they said it's racist. That's not anti-white, it's pro-black. Hang me out to dry, I won't crack. All these fancy ties and gold plaques. Never had no silver spoons in our mouths, we sold like. Don't comment on my culture, you ain't qualified. Stab us in the back and then apologize. If you knew my story, you'll be horrified. The irony of trapping on the Boris bag. Gotta stay alive and save my brother as well. Look at all these legends on the cover of L. Long time coming, but we come to prevail. I guess a little bit of heaven has to come with the hell, you know? Searching every corner of my mind. So there's Stormzy and Crown. Chosen by Neil James. So, Neil, after mm. radio came photography and then podcasting. So how did yeah. the interest in photography start? I'd always been a bit interested in photography and actually one of the great opportunities offered by the BBC was that you could go and do some retraining as I mentioned earlier and one of, one of the opportunities I got was to spend some time with a really miserable old bloke that uh, and I can't remember his name but uh, and in fact it's perhaps I best I don't um, who was the set photographer um, for things like Only Fools and um, he used to um, say to me, um, you know, well, here's a camera. Here's what to do with it. Uh, we take pictures of the audience. If I hear your camera click, you'll be out the studio. And and I, I was, you know, I was quite bowled over by this thing called photography. That was quite fun because I, I really only wanted to learn how to work a television camera, but I couldn't get on that course. I, I can see there's a bunch of cameras in a cabinet, but mm. over your shoulder in your studio. Yeah, well, there are, yeah, yeah. Some of those are from from that time. Ah, um, but so yeah. And so, when did you find out you were pretty good at this? Because well, you've I, gone I, on to to take photographs at some really quite big events, celebrity weddings, and yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm in the what what might be termed as the top echelon of of uh, high value photographers in the in the wedding industry. And I didn't really choose weddings. I thought oh, I don't want to be a wedding photographer. And still to this day, in fact, to the radio one. 50th uh, get-together, I remember one of the presenters um, coming up to me, rather sneeringly saying to me, how on earth did you become a wedding <laughs> photographer? Like I was something on the bottom of his shoe. Um, and I, I don't, well, I do know, because my uh, best friend at the time, uh, my best man at, at my wedding, had said to me, um, well, my, my brother's getting married. Well, you, you're, you're a bit of a photographer. Come and shoot his wedding. And I remember saying, Steve, I can't think of anything I'd rather do less on a Saturday than be at somebody else's wedding. And he was quite persuasive, and I ended up doing that. Now I've shot 900. Wow. And I have, I have travelled all over the world doing them. And, and it kind of fits my very soppy, sausage, empathetic nature that I think I have in that I'm back telling stories again, but they're... They're stories of, well, they're real-life stories of, of people's most, um, sometimes most vulnerable moments. These are people that sometimes it's an end-of-life wedding. Um, yes, I've done a couple of sort of semi-celeb ones. But it's when you look into somebody's eyes at a wedding and you see them having the most vulnerable, amazing time, um, I, again, it was... It, it was something that I thought, I just, I think I've fallen into oh, this. And wonderful. I think I could rather do this for a few years. 
And you've been doing a podcast for some time. You have a very popular podcast. Yeah. Tell us about what's well, it called it, and how can we find well, it? Well, there's, there's two. There's, there's one called the Fujicast, which, um, which is with my very good friend, Kevin Mullins, who is an ambassador for, for the Fujifilm brand. And that, that's every single Monday. And whereas it's, it's essentially a zoo format radio show. So life has gone cycling. <laughs> And I absolutely adore doing it with him. Um, we are told we're like two old Muppets in a pub having a chat. So it's a Fuji um, cast, and it's talking about photography. That is, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the Photography Daily Show, which is, which is a daily show, which is quite a, um, quite a stretch to, to do half hour, literally, of radio, speech radio every single you day, which I do as well. You produce every day. Mm -hmm. Seven days yeah. a week? No, no, no. It's a five-day a week sometimes. Five days a week. Yeah, yeah. Goodness, so like and what's that called? Uh, it's called Photography Daily. Photography and, uh, Daily. Web, and people can web, find that wherever yeah. they would get their podcast. Uh, yes, they would. Or, or if you go to photographydaily.show. And how's life at the moment? I guess uh, not a lot of weddings. No. God, no. Not at all. I've started doing a few. Uh, the podcasting has been my sanity. There's no doubt about that. And as I say, life has become very, very cyclic. And uh, I feel like I'm sort of heading back toward radio again. Um, <laughs> In a bizarre well, way. Well, you are. You're on the radio right now. Well, yeah. What did Matthew Bannister say? He said, you never know. Never say and, never. Um, yeah. here we are, living you never know. So, Neil, thank you very much oh, for spending two hours with us. Sorry for the panic of the technology at the beginning, but we got it working. <laughs> it and it's worked, been wonderful yeah. to be able to see you as well as talk to you. And thank you very much for sharing all your stories with us here on the Jukebox Drive-In. Thank you. Thank Neil you, James, thank you. thank you very much. And there we are, that's this week's Jukebox Drive-In. Big thank you to Neil James for joining us those two hours. What a fascinating career, can you believe it? Uh, next week we're in the can, because would you believe I'm off to a socially distant concert at Nebworth Park. Unbelievable. Take care, see you next week at seven. Ta-ra! <laughs>